Welcome to episode 14 of the RMD podcast from Reverse Mortgage Daily. I'm Chris Clow, editor of RMD. In this episode, we sit down with Dan Ribbler, director at real estate finance technology company Citus AMC, to discuss the shifts made in the reverse mortgage capital markets that have taken place over the duration of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. As covered on RMD, the capital markets reacted very harshly to the pandemic in the early days after the White House handed down its emergency declaration in March, severely limiting liquidity and even causing two top 10 reverse mortgage lenders to suspend their proprietary product offerings. Events have constantly been in motion since that time, however, so listen in as Dan and I discuss these issues and more. Hope you enjoy it. Dan, thank you so much for joining me on the RMD podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Absolutely. My pleasure. So before we actually get into the heart of the conversation about the capital markets, I know that some people have seen that your company, Baseline Reverse, has now been fully incorporated into Citus AMC after the initial acquisition late last year. For our listeners who might not be aware, what is it that your company does and what more can you tell us about the transition into Citus AMC? Yeah, sure. So... Baseline joined Citus AMC October of 19. Mm-hmm. I actually hard to believe it's been eight months already. Um, sure. That the transition's been really kind of as good as we could have hoped for, maybe a little better. Really, just I don't know, massive fan of the parent company here. So we we have kind of the the flexibility and the leeway to continue to be really nimble for our clients, but we just have so much more bandwidth. It's unbelievable. Like the the amount of talent at Citus AMC, the amount of people supporting us. It's really driven, it's helped us innovate even faster than what we were doing before. So we're, we're getting products launched faster. We're, we're adding uh, new engagements faster. Frankly, it, it's pretty nice that I don't have to wear the legal hat and the sales hat and the valuation hat, right? Like kind of splitting some of that work up. It, it's great. It's really great so far. Baseline in total, we continue to do the same things, right? So we value most of the MSRs on a monthly basis quarterly basis or daily basis in some cases. We've got software that helps with everything from originating loans to bidding on closed loan tapes. We've got clients who use us to create closed loan tapes to put out for bid, as well as other just kind of capital markets support in general. The way we look at it is like we can we can provide capital market support for pretty much folks as needed, right? It's all a la carte and whatever piece of the capital markets infrastructure they'd like help with, we can automate and generally in pretty much all cases, we can find inefficiencies or, or just, just find ways to kind of create extra P&L without taking any extra risk, which is always fun. Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, have you noticed just an effect in general on business after the sort of folding into Citus AMC, other than obviously having more resources? Sure. So it's great having these deep relationships, right? So Citus AMC owns a number of brands underneath of it. So one of them is the company formerly known as Mountain View. They value forward mortgage MSRs for, again, similarly, most of the forward mortgage industry. So we've had some really interesting conversations that's that's turned into some new engagements for us as a result of being under the bigger umbrella. So that's, mm-hmm. that's good. And then on the Citus AMC side overall, I think we've added a little bit of value to them in that we're, we're able to help the clients that they had previously and kind of deepen those relationships. Mm-hmm. Excellent. 
Great. Well, uh, let's jump into our discussion about the capital markets now. So you and I had connected previously, right as the scope of the coronavirus emergency was starting to come into greater focus. And in those early days, it seemed like a lot of lenders and reverse adjacent companies even were panicking. And it caused an initial reduction in liquidity with some expressing the opinion that the secondary market just froze up entirely. What do you think it was that caused that initial panic right out of the gate? And do you think investors and lenders reacted appropriately, given the information that they had? Yeah, so I think to me, it's pretty important to distinguish between lack of liquidity, right? And and I don't know if I would describe the market as it froze up. I think I would describe the market as it got a lot worse in terms of pricing, right? Whether dollar prices or spreads, we tend to think about the market in terms of spread, which high level is how much extra yield does an investor need beyond whatever the reference curve is, right? 12-month LIBOR plus some extra yield. So so I don't think I saw a scenario where like the scary times are when you put out a bond for bid and every broker-dealer says, hey, no bid. I can't take this on right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we saw that happen at all, like in a single instance. I think what we did see a few times is bonds would get put out for bid and dealers would come back with levels that looked really, really ugly compared to the day prior. And in several instances, we saw issuers say, you know what, I'm not going to trade this today. I'm going to wait. I'm going to put it out for bid again tomorrow, something to that effect. But they never went away, at least that we saw. And so that, to me, is, is monumentally positive and a testament to kind of the liquidity in the space. They got really wide, though, right? And so when you think about what causes reverse mortgages to get uh, to price worse, I don't know. I think when we when we spoke, as you referenced right before, like right as the crisis was starting, kind of off the record when we chatted, my view is like, look, the product itself is fine. So if you have unemployment, okay, fine. The seniors who are borrowing in these reverse mortgage scenarios often don't have a job, right? So 25% unemployment, okay, it's a bummer, but to the consumer, not a huge deal. They're also not making a payment, right? So there's not a mortgage payment to default on. Obviously, they have to keep their taxes and insurance current. And certainly, I'm not pretending that a downswing for the economy has no impact whatsoever on delinquency rates. But it's different than like a true credit risk type product, right? Where where in this case, the borrower generally, my view is like, hey, look, they're going to be overall, the bonds are going to perform about the same. Things got really wider. Prices got a lot worse because prices everywhere got worse. So if you're a money manager, if you're a if you're a hedge fund and you can buy again rewinding into the kind of the depths of the covid issues, if you could buy, I don't know, ABS or any other asset class and make 1% more to make up a number in yield than on Heckums, you would do that, right? So it's all relative value for those who understand the space. It's They've got dollars to invest, and and they were still interested in investing in reverse. They just needed to bid them at a yield consistent with what they could get in other asset classes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I remember when you and I first connected about what was happening, because that was, I think it was like right at the end of March that you and I spoke. The thing that struck me just in my conversation with you is that it seemed like you were generally more optimistic than virtually everybody else that I was talking to about uh, what was happening in the capital markets. I mean, you saw that there was still HMBS trading taking place, even though pricing was fluctuated, as you just said, and quite a lot, according to even rate sheets and some other metrics at the time that uh, some originators shared with me. Was there just a disconnect? 
that may have painted perceptions to be more dire than they actually were? What, what's your general take on that? Well, I think it depends who you talk to and, and how well prepared they were, among other things. Like, certainly, it, it could have gone a lot worse, right? We could have found ourselves in a scenario where 20% of the country goes into forbearance, could have found ourselves not seeing trillions of dollars poured into the economy in a couple of months, right? We absolutely could be in a much worse place today than where we are. So I don't, I don't want to say like the fears were unfounded, but as we were looking at the world, when you think about, if I, if I just way oversimplify, right, a mortgage company's job is buy loans for one price or originate loans for a price and then sell them for more than you originated them for. And that's it, right? To massively oversimplify it. Mm-hmm. So we've got, just by the way, I'm going to shamelessly plug a platform that we have here. So we, we've got a we've got a platform where we help folks create their rate sheets. We do it for issuers, we do it for closed loan sellers, we do it for several in the space. And for those folks, it's like, look, we give you daily color on where the market is, right? Whether it's the bond market or where whether it's the closed loan space. So we pretty well know where we're going to sell a loan. And I'll just make up numbers. Let's say your job as a lender is to make two points, two percent on every loan. Okay, great. If you can sell a loan for one ten, you price it at one oh eight. Right? If you can sell a loan for one oh three, you price it at one oh one. Generally it's the consumer who suffers when pricing gets worse because that means you've got fewer credits available for the consumer and they have to pay more closing costs. So it's it's certainly there is a loser. But if you're managing your pipeline correctly and if you're managing your price line or your pricing correctly, outside of some some noise, it can somewhat be business as usual. We also were working on some some fun stuff for clients where as we saw the ten year swap come down, there was there was a pretty cool arb you could run on a rate sheet to where it wasn't a dollar for dollar bad guy. But I don't know. We'll we'll keep that one with our clients. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> well, just a couple of weeks later in mid April, the story, just from from my own perspective, it seemed to change and it developed into how the capital markets had started to stabilize. And RMD actually hosted a webinar on the topic of the capital markets by that point. And uh, one expert said that the freezing just came down to the fact that markets don't like uncertainty. The uncertainty put downward pressure on real estate-related assets in, in general. Is that a characterization that you would agree with or do you think there are some other additional elements to it? on top of that. That's a, that's a, this could get spicy here, huh? No, I don't know. Look, I, I just look at it as, again, I don't see the markets as ever being frozen. They traded, they traded wider. Heckums traded to a, a larger nominal yield, right? Mm-hmm. As did every other asset class. So whatever drives, I, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of folks sitting at home on the buy side, watching news going, I wonder what that's going to do to reverse mortgage IOs, right? I don't think that's the first thought for, for most money managers. I think it's more a product of, all right, reverse mortgages are going to trade, are going to perform how they're going to perform, right? And if you look at the data, ooh, another plug opportunity here. We've got a platform that we call Baseline Vectors that several broker dealers and hedge funds subscribe to that looks at the performance of, of every HECM ever securitized every single month at loan level. And so what we find there is HECM performance is really, really predictable, right? If you're looking at the right metrics and like kind of stratting the, the universe of loans the right way, we can, we can pretty much tell just by looking at a bond how it's going to perform month by month with a pretty ridiculously outrageous level of certainty. And so I think, again, I think what happened is if you know how 
the bonds are going to perform. And if you take the view that, look, the COVID-related kind of issues won't impact the HECM borrower, which generally they didn't, which we can talk about if we have time here. I'll give you some some interesting insights there. But generally, they didn't really impact the consumer. So it truly is, I have dollars to invest and I need to like highest and best use, right? I need to earn the highest yield that I can. And if a different asset class starts performing better than Heckums, I'll put my money there, right? If I can, if I can earn a better yield in student loans, I'll invest in student loans. If I can earn a better yield in Heckums, I'll invest in Heckums. And so to me, I don't, again, I don't ever, I don't think we had a liquidity event at any point. Again, I think every bond that was put out for bid at least got a bid. It might not have been what the folks wanted who were selling it, but it wasn't a liquidity crisis. It was just pricing got worse because pricing everywhere got worse on every single asset. Sure. Well, in that respect, I'm curious, did you find yourself having to maybe do some damage control with your own clients? I guess I'm just kind of curious how the additional caution played out in terms of your own day-to-day operations, if at all. Yeah, I think we look at it as the way I've been describing it internally, at least, is it was a good relationship building opportunity for us, right? So for those those that we help with the, with the pricing, hedging, trading side, as we talked about, like those of our clients, I think generally felt pretty warm and fuzzy because if you're hedged appropriately, okay, the market went down a bit. Fine. I have hedges offsetting, right? I, I'll adjust my rate sheet as I see the market moving. So I'm not taking on new incremental risk. Totally fine, right? I certainly feel that a lot more phone calls and I spend a lot more time on the phone than I would in a normal month. But again, I think as a result of it, like selfishly as a consultant, when things get challenging, people generally reach out to us a bit more. So I don't know, it wasn't necessarily bad in that sense. And we're always happy to to have those kind of high level calls with folks and, and just talk about ways to kind of manage things differently. Yeah, I think that's very understandable. Continuing the sort of consultative reputation that reverse mortgages in general have anyway to another dimension. <laughs> also, too, uh, you know, capital market issues led to impacts on the proprietary reverse mortgage side. Both Liberty Reverse Mortgage and Reverse Mortgage Funding suspended their proprietary product offerings for the time being, citing pricing volatility at the end of March as the reason they were hitting the pause button. Even after some of the stabilization that we've seen, those products have yet to return, and other lenders have put some additional safeguards in place to keep their proprietary products on the market, like Longbridge lowering its uh, lending limits and LTVs, for instance. What's your take on the reactions of proprietary product providers, and do you think that conditions might allow for some of these changes to be walked back maybe by the end of the year? The timing part is hard. I don't know. I don't have good insight into the timing part. But in general... Yeah. I mean, I think let's start just with non-agency in general, not not even just reverse specific, right? So even in the forward space, generally non-agency products were halted or at least very heavily curtailed, right? So you're not seeing a ton of bank statement programs and you're not seeing a ton of non-agency jumbos. There's still some, but certainly not at the level that they were before COVID. Color that we hear on that front, whether it's forward or reverse, it's driven by investor appetite, right? So the, at high level, you originate loans, you put them in a structure, you sell that structure over and over and over again. In general, for a while there, the investor base on that stuff, very much, nobody's rushing to write big checks when you've got coronavirus or any really massive unknown scenario, especially with all the ways that this could have gone down surrounding housing in particular. Mm-hmm. So, so I think generally 
what would have to happen for those products to get turned back on in broad strokes is first, any production that was on balance sheets needs to get securitized and needs to get sold. On a positive note, we've seen some private label deal trade here in the last, call it, month or so. And they traded well, not necessarily specifically non-agency jumbo reverse, but but private label reverse-backed deals have traded, and it looks like the investor base is back. So timing-wise, I think what you have to see first is you have to see a little bit of balance sheet getting cleared out. It should probably trade at a decent level, and then folks will recalibrate and originate more. And I think as, as like if using the Heckam space as a proxy, we're back to almost exactly where we were before price-wise, uh, bond execution-wise. So I, I don't know. I think you look at you look at if you manage money right now, what the heck do you invest in? There's not a lot of yield out there. So I think people are looking around for for opportunities. It is interesting on reverse in particular, it's going to be very sensitive to home price appreciation estimates. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know, just really depends on what investor appetite looks like for taking bets on HPI. Sure. What do you see in terms of both the short-term and long-term impact of the economic situation as it stands right now for the capital markets? Is back-end liquidity on the buyout element of capital transactions more prone to a longer recovery process, or do you see things differently? When you say buyout activity, are you talking like when you buy a Heckam out of an HMBS security at the end of its life? or Yes. Where you, what do you look for there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that side, that side's actually back plugging along really well. I've had a couple of inquiries from the buy side looking for introductions to folks to kind of finance buyouts. I mean, you think about that, right? If it's an active buyout, effectively you have a receivable from FHA, not a ton of risk there. And generally speaking, you're going to end up owning that for a very short amount of time. Inactive side, similar, you face largely FHA. You've also got a property that you can completely get your head around on uh, what you're likely to be able to liquidate the property for. You know generally what you're going to be able to file a claim for. So it's not that hard to get your head around as an investor. You're also talking about pretty short duration on that stuff, generally speaking. We did see a structure trade there, and it traded really well. Oh, Oh, great. I think people would be encouraged to know that. Well, I did want to ask you, and you alluded to the LIBOR swap rate a little bit earlier, but obviously last month, 10-year LIBOR swap was published for the first time since the end of February, and it sparked a fair amount of renewed optimism from lenders and originators alike since they were able to communicate some new potential benefits to borrowers. What kind of effect does the republication of the 10-year LIBOR swap, especially at such a low level have on the capital markets yeah so the 10-year swap plus the arm margin is what determines your expected rate at origination as i'm sure our listeners know the lower that 10-year swap rate the higher margin can be delivered while still hitting the same expected rate so every expected rate three percent and under gets max proceeds to the consumer so in effect what happens like the minute that new swap came out you could add, I don't know exactly how much you changed, but call it, maybe you could add 75 basis points in, to your arm margin and get the same expected rate. If you figure bonds will, bonds probably have a six-ish to one buy-up, close loans, maybe call it seven to one as a rough rule of thumb buy-up. That means every loan in every lender's pipeline increased in value by four to five points, like four to 500 basis points, just directly to the bottom line. And on a go-forward basis, that means four to five points 
that can be credited back to consumers. It can be added to profit margin. Lenders can put it where they want to put it. But it's literally four to 500 basis points of found money that can be deployed however they want to deploy it. Well, that's, uh, that should be some positive news, I would think. I did want to ask you while I did have you a little bit of a broader set of questions. How would you say that the economic shock leveled against the capital markets this time compares with previous shocks those markets have endured from other recent economic incidents? Ooh, that's a good one. In 08, I was in diapers, right? So I don't know, I'm 33 today. I was just starting in the mortgage industry in 08. So I, I don't, I don't know, I can repeat sound bites from what I've heard, but I don't think I have good firsthand insight. Just anecdotally on the soapbox, I don't, I don't know. I don't think we've really seen the economic impact. I think folks look at the stock market, folks look at, I don't know, you can look at hiking spreads, look at rate sheets, and it looks like we're back to where we started. But I, I don't know. Personally, I have a hard time getting my head around 25% unemployment, 20% unemployment, whatever number you want to look at, somewhere in that range, layered with a couple of other probably systematic risks behind the scenes. I, I don't know. I like. I think it's funny when we when we talked in March, you described it as others were panicking, and I was relatively calm. And and now I think the general tone is, hey, we're we're done. Things are good now. And I'm. This is where I'm starting to maybe get a little bit worried. So I, mm. I don't know. It, I guess to more directly answer your question, I think we'll see, right? Like, give it six to twelve months, and hopefully, I'm wrong. Hopefully, nothing happens here. But it, I don't think it's that far fetched to see the real impact kind of manifest over the next mm-hmm. six to twelve months. Sure. Well, have, why don't I flip it around then? Instead of looking backward, looking forward, is this an economic shock? that you feel will, I guess, help you to wrap your head around future instances of economic disruption based on the magnitude of what's being experienced right now? Shoot, man, that's a good question. I wish I knew, right? Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what happens when, I don't know, tens of millions of, of folks get laid off all at once. Sure. And I don't know, I think about how this thing gets turned back on, right? How, do you, how folks start hiring again. How do you as a big company, how do you hire somebody right out of school and tell them, hey, work from home and you'll figure it out? I, I can't imagine. It would have been really difficult for me just thinking about the very limited scope of experience I have, right? I think it would have been, it would have really sucked to graduate from college today. Yeah. Because how the heck do you get started, right? So how do you learn? How do you train? I think really hard to say what it's going to look like, but I don't know. I got my popcorn ready. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think that's very understandable. Well, last thing that I wanted to ask you is more of like a commentary question, I suppose. Specifically, when it comes to the reverse mortgage industry, do you think that there's anything that it is not doing right now that it might be able to do to stabilize the markets even further? Or is there anything it can do now to potentially mitigate capital market impacts for future economic shocks? I, I think as an industry, I think in general, we've done a pretty good job. Like I described earlier, I think it's not that hard to forecast performance here. Mm-hmm. I think with FHA insurance on the loan, Jenny May wrap on the bond. I don't know if you're, if you're a buy side guy who understands how the asset should perform. I, I think you're pretty warm and fuzzy here. And in fact, I'd, I think if we do end up in a scenario where the economy gets a little, little softer here, I think the asset class probably does pretty well, right? So you're, you're going to have premium coupon in an environment of roughly zero yield 
on an asset that doesn't have massive refi incentive, at least not rate refi incentive. I think you probably also have a bit of a pickup here in origination volume as maybe folks are retiring a little bit sooner than they thought they'd retire or otherwise feel like it would benefit them to not have a mortgage payment anymore. I mean, who knows, right? But I don't really see a scenario where you see massive spikes in prepaid speeds as a result of of higher unemployment or, or less spending at Walmart. I don't I don't think that really drives tech on performance much. Sure. Great. Well, Dan, thank you so much again for taking the time to join me on this episode of the RMD podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to episode 14 of the RMD podcast. Again, a very special thanks to Dan Ribbler for being so generous with his time in talking about the reverse mortgage capital markets during the pandemic. For more news and insights on the reverse mortgage industry, be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at reversemortgagedaily.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the RMD podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast content. I'm Chris Clow, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network in Chicago, Illinois. See you next time.